Well, good morning again. <clears throat> I wish I uh, I wish I was able to see your faces and hear you the 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 rustling of papers and so on as you sit down. So please do be seated if you haven't already. Um, uh, as um, as you may know, we've been working through the book of Hebrews for a few weeks now, and we come this morning to Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. That'll be our sermon text for this morning, Hebrews 4, 1 through 11. So please turn we with me, if you would, as we read that passage of Scripture. And of course, before we read it, uh, I want to pray one last time. Let's pray together. Our Father, we... <clears throat> We know that in so many ways we, we, need, we need you. We need you. We need your Holy Spirit. Uh, we need you at work in our lives, in our hearts. Uh, we also feel keenly uh, this morning, um, at least I feel keenly this morning, that we need the body. We need one another. Uh, we, need, uh, we need to be near one another and, and be able to elbow one another and bump into one another and and yet we're separated, uh, and yet we know that your Spirit is still able to work. And so we pray that you would pour out your Spirit on our midst right now, that you would fill us with your Spirit, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and minds to understand and hearts to receive the gospel of your grace afresh this morning. Point us to Jesus and help us to rest in him and in his work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, our scripture reading is Hebrews 4, beginning with verse 1. This is God's word. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Well, whenever I hear the words of Jesus, which... We read earlier in Matthew 11, the words, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My instant response is always, yes. Yes, that is what I need. Yes, that is what I, 
That is what I want. Yes, I, I am weary and I am tired. I am heavy laden. I need rest. What about you? Do you ever find yourself weary of life? Uh, tired of the work and the toil and the difficult relationships, tired of expending physical energy or emotional energy, tired of, of late nights working hard, tired of your sin and your trials and your temptations, uh, tired of the suffering and the pain. Where are you tired? Where are you in need of rest? We're going to talk about rest this morning, God's rest, as Hebrews calls it, and we're going to ask four questions about rest and find our answers in this text. The four questions are these. What is it? Where is it found? Who is it for? And how do we enter? We're going to spend the most time on that first question. What is it? What is God's rest? And then we'll talk about where is it found, who is it for, and how do we enter. So first, what is it? What, what is rest? Now, the first thought that comes uh, to our minds is typically inactivity. I rest when I stop working. Maybe I sit on the couch and I put up my feet. I cease from my labors. I rest and I am refreshed. And that makes sense, of course. The, the fourth commandment, the Sabbath command says, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh you shall not do any work, because God worked six days and rested on the seventh. And so not doing work is parallel to resting and being refreshed. And I think that idea of, of, work, uh, of rest as ceasing from your work is necessary uh, but not sufficient. It's a good start. It's an important start, but it doesn't go far enough. If you think of rest merely as cessation, I think you're missing what God is talking about when he offers rest. So what is this rest? What is this rest here in Hebrews? Uh, notice what the writer calls it. Uh, he calls it his rest in verse 1. God calls it my rest in verse 3. It's called a Sabbath rest in verse 9. Uh, the rest that is offered here is actually not the kind of rest God experienced. Right? The, the, the problem with Israel was not that they didn't finish their work and so enter their rest. That was God's rest. He finished his work and then he rested. The problem with Israel was not that they didn't finish their work and so enter rest. The problem was that they didn't believe. And no, the rest offered here is not the kind of rest God experienced, but God's rest. You know, Hebrews even says, we who believe enter that rest. What he seems to be saying is we don't enter our own rest, but we enter God's. Rest is not something that I do, but something I enter. Now, I've often wondered, as I've read this passage, what exactly does it mean to enter God's rest? I mean, I, I know what it would mean to enter Bob's house or Sue's store. So what does it mean to enter God's rest? 
Uh, the writer himself in Hebrews actually points out how odd this is when he says in verse 3 that God's works have been finished from the foundation of the world. And then in verse 4, he says that God rested on the seventh day. How then is it possible for some to enter that rest or fail to enter it, as the case may be? Or how can you and I enter God's seventh day rest? It's this question that actually has caused uh, some interpreters to understand here that the seventh day of creation never ended. Unlike the first six days in Genesis 1 where we're told that there was morning and there was evening, not so the seventh day. It is, some say, an eternal day in which God rests even now. God continues to rest from his work of creation. He continues to celebrate the seventh day. And there's probably something to that, but even so, the question actually remains in my mind, how can I enter someone else's rest? What does that even mean? Well, in order to understand that question, how we can enter God's rest, we have to understand the Bible's teaching about rest. Rest is not uh, merely cessation. But it involves at least three other things, completion, coronation, and celebration. Rest is not merely cessation. It is that, but it's not merely cessation. It it involves completion, coronation, and celebration. And I want to show you that from Scripture, but first I want to describe it. You know, Hebrews says that we enter God's seventh-day rest and that a Sabbath rest remains for the people of God. And so what, what is this Sabbath rest? Here, here's my picture. Here's, here's my illustration. Uh, Sabbath rest. Sabbath rest is as if a king has a great army, uh, a great, sorry, a great enemy that terrorizes his people and defies the king's rule. And that king fights a great battle and he defeats his enemy and he and his kingdom enter a time of rest, of peace and even joy at the victory. And at that time, of course, the king sits on his throne, symbolizing his now uncontested rule. He he can sit, right, because he's no longer at war. And he holds a great feast to celebrate the victory. The celebration of the feast is is both a picture of and a, a participation in the prosperity that will come because the king has defeated his enemies. And so the king, his battle done, has entered a time of rest. And all who belong to him have entered along with him. If you become a citizen of that kingdom, you enter into the king's rest. That is the the, the rest that he brought, the king brought, and himself presently experiences. It's the king's rest because he brought it and he enjoys it, but he shares it with anyone he chooses to share it with, anyone who enters his kingdom. It's an illustration, of course, but it's, it's much more than an illustration, right? It's really describing the rest of God. You see, the, the Sabbath rest, the, the theological idea of rest, it not only includes cessation, stopping our work, but it implies more than that, completion, coronation, and celebration. And let me show you that in Scripture. First, we see it in creation, Uh, There's no battle in creation, of course. Uh, God's rule is not contested in any way. There's no battle, but there is a work that is completed. 
God completes his work of creation. That's the most obvious point, right? Completion. Before God rests, he finishes his work. But there's more than that. Uh, In Genesis 2, God finishes his work and rests. Uh, It's important to say that God is not resting because he is tired. Um, Exodus does say that God rested and was refreshed. Uh, but we're not to understand God as becoming weary from his work. God's rest is not the rest of weariness, but the rest of satisfaction. God has been celebrating his work throughout creation, declaring it good, even very good. Psalm 104 tells us that the Lord rejoices in his works. And Proverbs 8 tells us that in creation, God delighted in his wisdom as his wisdom delighted in the things that he had made. God was saying in in Proverbs 8, essentially, look, look at how wise I am in these amazing things that I have made. Isn't it marvelous what I have done? And so rest, stopping from the work implies completion. The work is done, but also celebration. God saying, look at the amazing things that I have done. It is very good. Rest implies delight in what God had accomplished. And it also implies coronation. You know, coronation is when you crown a king. Now, uh, God has always been king, of course, but at the completion of his creation, God sits down on his throne, as it were. Uh, God sits enthroned on the seventh day. Now, you might read Genesis 2 and think, okay, it doesn't say anything there about a throne. I've read Genesis 2. It's just not there. But if you read uh, Isaiah 66, verses 1 and 2, it says this, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. See, God says, heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. That is the place of his rest. All these things his hand has made. God sits on his throne with the world under his feet. That is the place of his his rest. His his rest in his own satisfaction in the job that he had done. And so in creation, uh, creation having been completed, uh, celebration and coronation are the result. God, God sits on his throne and rejoices in his work. God completes his work, sits on his throne and delights in what his hands have made. Uh, second, let me show you this pattern in the conquest of Canaan. Uh, Canaan is actually described as the rest and inheritance of God's people. Uh, It was only rest, though, after the completion of the conquest. And so in the book of Joshua, we read that God gave Israel rest by defeating their enemies. God defeated their enemies and the people had rest. Okay, of course, that's specifically rest from war. Now, we can multiply passages almost without end that describe the cessation of war as rest. Rest is is rest from enemies, rest from the battle, rest from the fight. But it only comes because God defeats those enemies. But what does God do when he gets into the land, when, when he gives Israel rest from their enemies, when all the enemies are defeated, Israel is in the land, what does God do? Well, he eventually has Solomon build a temple. And what is the temple? The temple is, is the visible picture of the throne room of God with the ark itself being described in Scripture as God's footstool. Again, like the earth. 
And so at the dedication of the temple, uh, Solomon prays in 2 Chronicles, uh, Arise, O Lord God, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. And the psalmist picks up on this when he prays in Psalm 132, Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. And so what does God do after the conquest of Canaan? He sets up his throne in the midst of his land. And yet if we keep reading in 2 Chronicles 6, we read, And now arise, O Lord God, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests, O Lord, be clothed with salvation, and let your saints rejoice in your goodness. See, the enthronement of God itself is a cause for celebration. We see all of this come together in Deuteronomy 12 and 14. We read Deuteronomy 12 earlier. When Moses says to Israel, on the verge of the promised land, he says, when God brings you into the land, and when he gives you rest and builds his temple, this visible throne room of God, then you shall come and celebrate in God's presence. The, The defeat of the enemies, the building of the throne room of God, Uh, will lead to celebration in God's presence. Rest, true rest, is not not mere cessation. It it is that, but it's more. It's it's the completion of uh, the work, the coronation and celebration. It's the finishing of a job well done and the, the satisfaction and delight in that job as the one who has authority over it. Maybe you have experienced that at some point. When you have finished your work, you've been able to look at it and and take joy in what your hands had done, saying, ah, look look at what I did. Isn't this this, uh, great? Isn't this wonderful? And then you can rest. Uh, Let me give you, though, two more, uh, well, two odd examples in Scripture, and then one more. So uh, two odd examples to kind of move us out of these big ideas of creation and conquest. Uh, The first is the parable of the talents. You know, in that parable, the the master entrusts some money to his servants. And to the ones who invest well and make a return, the master says this in Matthew 25. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And notice, even in this one phrase, we have all three elements of rest. Completion, well done, good and faithful servant, right? Your job is finished, well done. Coronation, you have been faithful over a little, I will set you over much, right? The the servant doesn't become the king, but he is given a place of authority. You were faithful over a little, I will set you over much. So there's a position And then celebration, enter into the joy of your master. Uh, Now notice the servant enters into his master's joy, just as the writer of Hebrews talks about entering into God's rest. He's entering into the party. It's not simply his own joy. He's entering into the joy that is already going on, which brings us to the next example, which is the parable of the prodigal son. Now, I won't go through all the details of this amazing parable. Uh, Go and read it on your own. It's in Luke chapter 15. But this son squanders his father's money and eventually seeks to return to his father's house as a pauper. And he wants to return as a servant, as a worker, uh, but the father will have none of it. He clothes his son with a robe, a ring, and shoes to put on his feet, all of which symbolize the son's place in the family a position of authority. 
rather than the place of a servant as he expected, he receives the place of a son. Coronation, right? Being given a position. And then the father throws a party, right? A celebration. And the son enters into the father's party. Now you might think, well, yeah, but in this example, in this parable, there's no work here. There's no completion. And that's true. In fact, the son expects to work, but he doesn't. And that's one of the twists in the plot of the parable. The father blesses the son out of his own bounty, his own wealth, which came from his own work of many years. And so the position and the party come as a gift of grace, which, of course, is pretty applicable to where we are going. So fourth and finally, let me point you to Jesus, the example of Jesus. Hebrews 4, uh, chapter 10 says this, For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Now it sounds, that verse, chapter 4, verse 10, sounds like it is stating a general principle. That anyone who enters God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. But John Owen actually says, no, no, that's not quite right. That's not the way we are to understand this verse. And the first thing Owen points out, or one of the things he points out, is the singular reference, which is translated in the ESV, whoever. But it could also be translated, he who has entered. He who has entered. And uh, the rest of the passage, actually, the writer of Hebrews uses plural words when he's talking about us and our rest and let us enter rest. But here it is singular. He who has entered God's rest. Second, it actually doesn't say God's rest in verse 10. Uh, in, in the Greek, at least, that, that's an interpretive translation trying to clarify whose rest it is. Uh, but Owen would say that that actually is a misinterpretation or a mistranslation. He says, uh, that should be translated, his rest. He who has entered his rest. That's what it says. And if this is the way to read it, right, only Christ, Owen says, could be said to enter his own rest. And third, the passage says, he who has entered his rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. And, and Owen says, what works could we rest from that are like God's. And to, to compare the, the sin or the suffering of men with the works of God, Owen says, our apostle did not intend. He's saying the, the point here is not that we rest from sin and suffering like God rested from his work. Those two things don't, don't match. The verse, Owen says, is referring to Christ. He has entered his rest. He has rested from his work of redemption, just as God in the beginning rested from his work of creation. Well, when did this happen? Well, after Jesus completed his work of redemption at the cross, he declared it uh, on the cross, it is finished. Completion, the work of redemption was done. But his rest was not in the grave. Shouldn't understand that. His rest was not in the grave. He rose from the dead and went where? He was seated at the right hand of the Father, being crowned with glory and honor, coronation. Jesus finished his work on the cross, and then he rose from the dead to be crowned with glory and honor at the Father's right hand. Why did Jesus do all this? Well, Hebrews 12, 2 says, For the joy that was set before him, 
he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God for the joy set before him. Celebration. See, Jesus has entered into God's rest. He has completed his work. He has been crowned as Lord of all. He has entered into the joy of his master, the joy of his father, the joy that was set before him. This is rest. It is not merely the cessation of work. It is that, but it is so much more. It is the celebration of the king who has completed his work. It is better than cessation, right? It is celebration. This is rest. If your enemies are gone and your house has been built and the deed is in your hand, it is time to throw a party. I have to say, often, when I think of rest, I think simply of sleep. And God gives to his children sleep. But we can sleep because our enemies are under Jesus' feet. God does give us sleep, but he gives us so much more. And that's what rest is, that the celebration of the king who has completed his work. That's what it is. Where is it found? We'll go a little quicker. Where is it found? We, we spend much of our lives seeking this kind of rest. We, we want to finish our work so that we can celebrate. We want to finish our projects and sit on our lazy boy thrones and have a me party. Uh, we set our hope on the weekend or spring break or summer vacation or early retirement, right? We are striving for rest. Sometimes it seems just in our grasp and then something happens and our little private kingdoms fall apart. Or it simply comes and goes and we find ourselves right back in the grind. If you have been disappointed again and again with the lack of rest in this life, there is a very simple explanation Rest is not found in Canaan. Look at verse 8. Verse 8, the writer says, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. Now, Joshua is the one who led the people into the promised land of Canaan. This is what Deuteronomy calls Israel's rest and inheritance. And in the book of Joshua, we read that God gave them rest. And here we are told that Joshua did not give them rest. Why, why is this so, right? Why, why is this the case? Well, because the, the land of Canaan, while a kind of rest, was really just a picture of a better rest to come. It, it was a kind of rest, but not the fullness of rest that God had for his people. And so where is our rest? Where is the rest that remains for some to enter? Where is the Sabbath rest that remains for the people of God? It is with Christ. Christ has entered his rest, even if that his, in verse 10, is meant to refer to the Father or, or the Son's rest, whoever it is, it actually makes no difference. Christ has entered God's rest in his resurrection and ascension. He has entered that rest. He is in the Father's presence, enjoying authority and the joy of His Father right now. But one day, that heavenly rest into which Christ has entered will come here. Hebrews talks about it as the city of God, a heavenly country. Revelation talks about it as the new Jerusalem, the place where God's throne 
dwells. One day, Revelation tells us, that new Jerusalem will come down from heaven. The dwelling place of God will be with man. And we will enter into the wedding feast of the Lamb, the celebration to end all celebrations. You see, we are on pilgrimage to our heavenly rest. And while it is heaven in heaven presently where Christ is, it will not be so forever. It is heavenly in character, but it will come down from heaven, Revelation tells us, when heaven and earth become one on the last day. And so our rest is presently in heaven, and our rest is in the future. And so we wait for that heavenly reality to become our present reality. Now, that doesn't mean, of course, that we don't presently experience rest, but we'll get to that in a minute. So what is rest? It's the celebration of the completed work of King Jesus. Where is it found? Where Christ is in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. Who is it for? This rest that Jesus experiences and offers to us, who is it for? You know, sometimes we think of Christianity as a kind of exclusive club, right? That it's just for the people who are part of the in crowd. But Hebrews keeps repeating this verse from Psalm 95. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Who is that addressed to? Well, the original psalmist wrote it for the people of his day. The writer of Hebrews applies it to the people of his day. And of course, here we are 2,000 years later, and God is applying it to us. This is why we will see next week that the writer says the word of God is living and active because God addresses us through his word perpetually. God addresses us today. Who is this rest for? All who hear today. If you can hear my voice as I read God's word, this rest is for you. Today, if you hear his voice, if you hear his voice speaking in the scriptures, if you hear the promises of God of forgiveness in Jesus, if you hear the gospel of Jesus' death and resurrection, this rest is for you. But there's a warning attached. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Which brings us to our final question about God's rest. What is it? celebration of the completed work of King Jesus. Where is it found? Where Christ is in heaven at the right hand of the Father. Who is it for? Everyone who hears God's voice speaking in the scriptures. How do we enter? This is not a normal party. Right? If, you, if you finish a big job and you get a promotion at work and you decide to throw a party for a few friends, how do they enter? Well, they enter through the door. At least when they're not stuck at home because of coronavirus. And while the invitations have gone out, this party has been planned well in advance. And so how do we RSVP? Well, first, through believing. Look back at verses 1 through 3 at the beginning of our passage. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. Now notice Israel had the promise of entering the promised land. 
This is well before Joshua brought them in. That the good news came to them. They heard the message of God. And for Israel, it was the promises of the gospel given under types and symbols, but it was the same message at its core. Why did it not benefit them? Because they did not have faith. Just as medicine only benefits you if you take it, the message of Jesus benefits you only if you have faith. By faith, we become sharers in Christ. We were told back in chapter 3, verse 14. Do you want to share in His entrance into that heavenly rest? Believe in Him. And yet we might say it's not just believing, but persevering in that belief. This has been the concern of the writer from the start. Uh, It's one thing to say you believe. It's another thing to persevere even when things get tough. And so Hebrews uh, verse in verse 11, we're told, let us strive to enter that rest. Now, I, I love this phrase, strive to enter that rest, because it's so counterintuitive, right? Rest, we think, should be easy, especially once we realize this rest is a gift of Jesus. Why would it be hard to receive the gifts of God's grace? Why do we have to strive for it? Now, to be honest, right, I, I don't know about you, but, but resting for me has actually never been easy. My default mode is active. When I stop working, I feel restless. I, I want to be doing something. I want to feel productive. So let me give us uh, three ways of applying the teaching of the, these verses, three ways of striving to enter God's rest today. There could be more. I'm just going to mention three. The first and the most important is rest in Christ's attainment of rest. Rest in Christ's attainment of rest. See, my restlessness is really a result of my unbelief. I don't believe that Christ has done everything necessary to secure for me rest. I don't believe that he has entered God's rest and that through faith in him, I am in him. I feel like I need to work to earn God's rest. But the gift of God and the hope of eternal life are not dependent upon my work. They are dependent on Christ's work. My Father loves me because of Jesus. He welcomes me into His presence because of Jesus. He holds out rest to me because of Jesus, and He will ensure that I get it. Jesus, my shepherd, watches over me to keep me safe to bring me through the valley to the green pastures beyond. Why am I so restless? We must strive to believe the gospel, to rest in the one who has obtained rest for us. Second, rest on the Lord's day. Now, our, our Lord's day, physical resting from our work, is a present anticipation and enjoyment of that future rest that is ours. It is a celebration of Jesus entering his rest. It is therefore a foretaste of our entering that rest. It is the enjoyment of the fullness of rest ahead of time as we celebrate the completed work of King Jesus in the hope of the wedding feast of the Lamb to come. And so rest now in anticipation of the rest to come. Third, rest in the hope 
of rest. Now, this is different from what I just said. So, so uh, listen to this, right? Rest in the hope of rest. There is much that is restless about this present life. Uh, resting in the hope of rest means you must not seek shortcuts to rest here and now. Uh, don't set your hope on the weekend or on spring break or on summer vacation or early retirement, right? Don't seek to create the promised land here. We anticipate and foreshadow that rest, particularly as we give rest to others, rest from the curse and the chaos, but anticipate and foreshadow and foretaste, they are not the same thing as bring. You cannot bring the hoped for rest. Rest is not something I can make. It's not something I can bring. But Jesus has entered and I will follow him through faith. There is much that is restless about the present life. There are enemies all around. There is danger, toil, and snare. There are sicknesses and disease is. I can't fix that. But I can rest. And we can rest. We can rest in that we know that this will all be over one day. Jesus is presently conquering Canaan through the gospel. And he is building his throne room temple, the church, the place where he rests and reigns. And on that last day, Canaan being conquered, the temple throne being complete, the celebration will begin. And we will enter into Jesus' rest in fullness. Rest in the hope of that day. See, we should not only, of course, strive to enter ourselves, but one last point of application. Not only do we strive to enter ourselves, but we offer that rest to others. The people around you need to know about the rest of God and Jesus. And while we can't bring God's rest, we can manifest it in the way we live our lives as we rest in hope. We can extend it as a foretaste uh, to others in the way we serve those around us. And we can hold it out as we hold out Jesus the one who has entered God's rest and offers it to us through faith in him. Will you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we thank you. Uh, We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he has entered your rest, that he is at your right hand, that he's sitting down on the throne in the joy of your presence. And Father, we thank you that because of him, that is our hope, that we will reign with him and we will sit with him and we will rejoice with him in your presence forever. We thank you for the hope held out to us of rest. I pray, Father, that you would give us rest in the here and now as we rest in the completed work of Christ, as we rest in times of rest, and as we rest in hope knowing that the true rest will come one day. Father, help us to rest in that. To your glory and honor, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.